Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Hub City Homers. This is episode 56. We are back after the Red Raiders dismantle the West Virginia Mountaineers. The score of that game, 48-10. to Texas Tech improves to 4-3. and And an update on West Virginia, they fall to 3-4. and Texas Tech has Baylor up next, but first we're going to talk about the West Virginia game. Some lessons learned, some things that we can pick up from this game um, that Tech can take and extend to do what something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is stack success. How do you do that? What can we pick up from this game that needs to be done in order to do that? Um, so we're going to go ahead and move straight into that first, but after that, as always, we will have a full and detailed preview of the Baylor Bears. They're coming off a win of their own over the Kansas Jayhawks. Hawks. We'll dive into the matchups, their season a little bit to give you guys a high level, and we'll go from there. But like I said, we're going to start with West Virginia, and I want to open this one up to a topic of conversation that's going to be pretty significant this week. Um, In fact, I've already seen the discussion cropping up all over the place, which is the starting quarterback situation. So I'm going to put a caveat on this. I don't want to dive into yet who anybody thinks the starter should be for Baylor. When we get to the Baylor Bears, I'll open up that discussion. I want to first just look at Baron Morton's performance in a vacuum and what we've seen from him so far. And let's just talk about that in the offense first. So, Reed, I'm going to go to you with that first. How would you assess the play of your young uh, signal caller against the Mountaineers? What did you see? What did you like? What did you not like? Yeah, I think uh, as a Tech fan, there's quite a bit to like uh, with Baron Morton. He's kind of a prototypical uh, gunslinger, if you will, uh, that most people associate Texas Tech with. So uh, I think that's a welcome sight to see because we really haven't had that kind of guy since, uh, honestly, maybe Pat. Uh, I think Bowman flashed a little bit in that aspect, but uh, had some injury problems and some, some mobility issues that kind of dampened that one pretty quickly. But um not trying to compare Baron to Pat by any means, but <clears throat> I think this is the first true quarterback you've seen that's been able to throw the ball all over the yard, uh, both with precision and, and some accuracy, uh, as well as being able to chunk the deep ball pretty well. Um, so I've liked what I've seen from him quite a bit. I mean, on top of the level of, of opponents he's played so far, uh, Oklahoma State on the road is not a very easy task to, to start your first your first game in in the Big 12 and first collegiate start. So I think that was really good to see some some of the things he did in that game. And I think he was able to kind of pull off of what he did in that one and put it towards West Virginia. And I think he played a really well game. Um, you know, from a quarterback standpoint and just uh, from a leader, because there were some plays that he made uh, kind of on that fourth down call where he, where he kind of had that QB power and West Virginia thought they had him short. And then he kind of had a second effort and, Got the first down, stuff like that. It's really good to see from your quarterback and uh, bodes well for the rest of your team. So, Yeah, you talk about some of the stuff that's a little bit more than just like pure ability um, because that, that's the thing about being a quarterback is it's one of those positions in which like intangibles matter um, um, so 
much, right? Like they, they, they just, you can have a great running back and he doesn't necessarily have to be a leader on the team. Case in point, like Marshawn Lynch, you know, great professional career. At no point in time do I think anybody would describe him as being like the heart and soul of the Seattle Seahawks. He was a great back, but he was soft-spoken. He did his talking on the field. Quarterbacks can't really do that. They have to lead. They just do. If you have a quarterback who's not leading, you don't have much of a quarterback at all. Um, so, you know, it's good to see that he's he's doing some of the intangible things correctly that, like, you have to do in order to... Um, really succeed as a quarterback. Now, on just pure ability, we find out, you know, for context, we find out after the game that he was sick um, heading into today, was actually on an IV in pregame. He's also banged up, which we did know. He's been in treatment for his ankle. So he's, he was not healthy. And I think that showed on a few of these throws. There's some he just he just didn't look comfortable making today that I think ordinarily he is. Um, his final stat line, 28 for 45, 325 yards, averaged a little under 7.5 per attempt, two touchdowns, QBR 60. I, here's my thing. This was a good performance. It wasn't a great one. I wasn't wowed by what I saw. He missed a couple of throws. Like I said, he was sick. He's hurting. Uh, but what I did really like from him is that he, his decision-making was better than what we saw against Oklahoma State. Against Oklahoma State, he showed you he's got the arm. He can make any throw all over the yard. But there were some moments in which he put the ball in harm's way or didn't take the, the yards that were there. And there just felt like there was times he was pressing a bit. Um, against West Virginia, you didn't really see that. You saw a guy who was confident, was willing to scramble, pick up what's there, throw the ball away when it's not. Um, ball was out of his hand fast. He was making good reads. So I think what's crazy about this, this was just a solid performance, but there was a lot of meat left on the bone. He had two touchdowns alone I saw that he just missed the guy on. He just missed. I think there was one to Tharp where he had him wide open, and then there was another one where he had a guy streaking towards the end zone, had him open. Um, he just missed both throws. They were they were throws I think he makes on most days. Um, so I've been impressed with him just because you know this wasn't a great performance, and he still he was efficient. He did what the offense needed to, and the offense moves with him. Uh, I think you know it helped that the running game was so dominant today that took a lot of the pressure off of him. You know your two starting backs were at 166 yards. You added another. 49 in garbage time with Donnell, including that beast run. Um, so it, it there was the offense is just clicking right now. Um, the defense was phenomenal in this game, which we'll get to in a minute. But I, I was proud of Baron Morton because when you're not feeling good against a bad West Virginia team, you know it's hard to stay in gamer mode. And you talk about that fourth down play; that's a gamer mode play. You have to really want to to push through there and pick up that yardage um, when you're really not feeling well. Um, I, I mean, we've all been there. Anybody who's played sports, there's days where you just you feel like shit. And this was one where he had to be hurt and not didn't have his wind under him, didn't feel good, and he just looked like a professional. He looked like an upperclassman in this game. A couple of throws he wants back. There was one he got baited into an almost pick, but. Those are things he's getting better of every rep. You're watching the game slow down for him in real time. So, you know, I, I he's got the arm. There's just some he, – he's developing the intangibles. There's just some stuff you got to continue to work on with him regarding um, consistency with some of his reads and just teaching him a little bit more pocket presence. Um, you can see he still struggles a little bit working himself in the round of the pocket. But it's as good of a showing as you can expect from, you know, a redshirt freshman. And two, Big 12 starts being your first starts, one on the road against Oklahoma State, which, granted – 
is has to be one of the worst possible starting environments. And then a must-win game against West Virginia. He took what was there, and you just really cruised to victory on on the back of the offensive performance. And that that's that's what you want to see. Jack, I'm going to change the question just a little bit now. Um, let's talk about just Baron Morton from the perspective of. Um, what do you think is the biggest differentiator between his game and Donovan Smith's? Because it's kind of apparent to me anyways, and I think it should be apparent to most people, that Morton's firmly placed himself past Donovan. So what have you seen from, from the young signal caller that makes you think, okay, he's just better than Donovan right now. He's playing better football. What is he doing that's allowing that? I think uh, the answer to your question, you, you, we've kind of already touched on it. Um, you see elite arm talent. Uh, I know that on this podcast we've referenced a couple of times in a, in a couple games where Donovan Smith was making throws that you know he had guys streaking for the end zone you know forty yards down the field <clears throat> or whatever and he just underthrew him. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit. I can think of three off the top of my head that we've referenced where uh, he underthrew guys and our receivers had to come back to the ball to make great plays, but you know, that took touchdowns away. Uh, granted we might've ended up scoring on those drives, but I mean, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the bottom line, right? Um, I, I think the decision-making is another thing. Uh, you saw it really progress in this game and they're quick decisions, right? Like you mentioned, it's I'm one, two, three. Okay, I'm I'm here, I'm there, or I'm scrambling, or I'm throwing the ball away. Um, like you mentioned, you just said it, and I think it was a perfect representation of it. Uh, you know, we're seeing the game slow down for him in real time. Um, to me, when I watch Donovan play, I don't see that. I see it happening, but I don't see it happening as quickly. Um, as we do for Barron. I think that because also of Barron's elite arm strength, the playbook is a little more wide open, right? Like we're seeing this offense mesh and and just go really well with this tempo. And even when we're not running tempo, you know, there are some plays that, you know, I recognize – from week one in the first 10 scripted plays when Shuck was in because he has that elite arm strength. Um, But, you know, we haven't seen him since then until this past week when Barron was the quarterback or when he was in at Oklahoma State, right? So to me, I think the three things that you're seeing, the arm strength, which as everyone's seeing, you're seeing quick decision-making, the game slowing down, and I guess a fourth one, because of the first three things that I mentioned, the fourth one is the playbook being able to be a little bit more open uh, than it is to Donovan. I, th- I think that, again, no disrespect to Donovan Smith uh, at all. Uh, he has his own his own skill set, and his skill set works for him, and that's fine. Um, but I, I truly think that... Um, with the way the game is, with the way Baron Morton has inserted himself into this role, and the way that we see him grabbing this job right now and, and taking it by the reins, really, um, it's just I'm I've been super impressed with it, 
and and I do want to mention, you know, like like we just talked about. Uh, I think there were three uh, passes, touchdown passes that he missed, and so you think about think about this kid who's a redshirt freshman, uh, first home start, uh, homecoming game, right? Um, was throwing up all morning on the IV before the game, and really kind of played an average game, like you said, average. I mean, there were some throws missed, but there were some good throws as well. And all the kid did was torch West Virginia by 38 points. So, not saying West Virginia is the best team in the Big 12. Um, definitely there's some left to be desired there with that program. Uh, but I think that if an average game you beat a middle of the road to maybe a little bit less than uh, average West Virginia team by 38, you know, uh, I'm not ever going to have a problem with that. Yeah, I think there was meat left on the bone in this game. But to be clear here, you know, you did what you were supposed to in this game. Like there was some reason to believe that West Virginia might keep this close. They came off a win against Baylor. But the reality is you are just all around a better program right now than them, which is funny because you've been really bad the last few years. But that's how far they've fallen. And you're just better. You're overall more talented. You're better coached. And you wanted to see that on display Saturday, which is what we're going to next. You know, West Virginia is not exactly known as an elite defense, but your offense really took care of business. And part of it is on the back of the offensive line. So, Reed, I'm going to go to you again first with this one. What did you see from the offensive line in this game? You know, it, it, are, are we finally seeing some improvement, or is it really all just the fact that West Virginia is pretty bad? <clears throat> yeah, there may be kind of a, a couple scenarios that, that fit into uh, kind of how it played out. But first, before it, we even kicked off, I saw we were going to miss our right tackle, Monroe Mills. So I was already uh, even shakier than normal about our offensive line heading into it uh, here and that because he's, I mean, arguably been one of your more stable guys up front all year long. Um, and, and that right tackle spot, the, the left side's really been the issue with Caleb Rogers and um, when, when Weston's been out. So uh, I, I think it was good to see some some good play from beginning to end. There's only, I don't even know if there's a few times that where I was kind of scratching my head wondering where um, some blockers were at and that kind of thing. There weren't really many times where somebody was running free, kind of coming straight out of Barron. So I think that was good to see. And one thing I have noticed the last uh, last two games out of our offense is I think they've tried to speed up the game. So I think that's helped the offensive line um, getting the ball out quicker and some th- some certain things like that and aspects. And that's helped open up the run game and uh, kind of give them a break from you know having to hold on to somebody for six to seven seconds. Um, so they're just having to do it for two or three instead, and it uh, kind of helps longevity and hopefully make it into where we're not having to win one-on-one battles in order to move the ball down the field. So uh, I, th- I think the staff knows our offensive line's not uh, as good as uh, they'd want it to be or you know, comparative to what the defensive lines can do in the Big 12. So I think they're just trying to take what uh, take what they can get with what they have. So. I think they've they've played fast on purpose to try and avoid uh, any more problems than we've already had with them. Jack, I'm going to ask you a similar question. You know, what do you think 
of how Kitley's managed the offensive line. You know, this is obviously a situation is you kind of getting what you get at this stage. Um, they're not suddenly going to become world beaters. What have you thought about the, you know, kind of the schematic scheme fixes that have been deployed to try to help these guys out, make the game a little easier for them? I'm, I'm you could tell that there's being a concentrated effort there, right? Uh, you, you see them bringing tight ends in. Um, there were a couple times that I counted, at least on Saturday, where they had two backs in there, uh, which helps in protection. Especially, again, let's not underrate here how good Taj Brooks and Sir Roderick Thompson are at pass blocking. Because without them being that good, I don't think putting backs in there um, really make or takes as big an as big of an effect as it did on Saturday and pretty much throughout the year, right? Um, I, I do, I do like the uh, that the tight ends are being put in there more. I've been screaming, I've been begging all year for these tight ends to get more involved in the game plan. And this week, all three of them had a catch, uh, which you know, if they're listening, thank you, Coach Kelly, I appreciate it. Um, I've been I've been asking for this for a while, and all we did was in the two games that we've utilized the tight ends correctly. In my book, all we've done is beat Texas and West Virginia at home. So um, anyway, I'll take off I'll get off my soapbox on that. But um, I'm with Reed. I was really uh, I was really kind of nervous uh, when I saw that Monroe Mills wasn't going to be able to go. Um, but I, I truly think that this line turned in it probably one of its best performances of the season. Um, I think it can only really be outdone by the Texas game. I still think that Texas game is going to be hard to beat in terms of, of the line. Um, coincidentally, both of those games, you know, the tight ends were in a lot and used uh, heavily. So, like I said, and again, I guess I'll get back up on my soapbox for a minute. If that's what it takes for this line to be successful, if we need to keep at least a tight end in, all the time, I'm all for it. I mean, we have the best tight ends in the in the Big Twelve, like group wise, tight end room wise. Like you can't tell me that none of the three guys in our tight end room wouldn't be starting at any other Big Twelve school. Um, I I just wouldn't believe you. So I I mean, if that's what it takes, and if that's what we continue to do, and we keep putting up this the kind of points we're putting up right now. You know, if we're in, if we're talking thirty-five to forty-two to forty-nine points, I mean, you can't really argue with success. No, and this is something that we, you know, you've been harping on the tight ends a lot, but like the reality is, is I haven't been impressed a lot in some of these games with the formations tech's gone out. It's felt like in some of these games, the games where we've seen the offensive line struggle the most. We've kind of left them out to dry. We've gone a lot of empty sets or one-back sets where they're releasing out without really giving much of a chip. And where they've had the most success are two-back looks. You know, you bring in your tight end down, put a hand in the ground. For one thing, you're absolutely right. Like, Baylor Cup, if he hadn't gotten hurt at A&M and they didn't have some really good tight ends around him, he'd still be there and starting in an SEC West program. And he'd be good in that offense. 
Mason Tharp is big as shit. I have told this story before. I'll tell you, say it again. I was there at the U of H game last year in Energy down in the field um, pregame just walking around because that, you know, I'm not going to get to cover many games. That was a cool experience for me. And he came out with Travis Kuhn standing next to him, who we all know, big guy. He made him look like a freaking small person. Like, he, he was noticeably larger than a guy I think most Tech fans would associate as being built big. They, these are matchup nightmares, and you have to help your offensive line by putting their hand on the ground, getting them out on the field, using them more. You know, they had a TD, and I think it was Tharp that it was thrown to. It might have been Cup, uh, where they had him open, and Morton just missed him. These guys are open. And then that, that catch on the goal line, or towards the goal line, was just phenomenal work. Like, he's just hard to bring down in space. Um, and, but for the offensive line itself, what I was really impressed by was, but West Virginia is not the most disruptive defense. But they brought four pretty regularly. They dropped a lot of guys in coverage. They're worried about their secondary. And the offensive line held up to that. Whereas against teams like NC State, you really didn't, right? Like against um, um, against Houston, you were unable to block the base defenses. They communicated well. And the other thing is I thought in the run game, right? Like your backs were phenomenal. But those counters just killed West Virginia. And a lot of that's because your guys made their blocks, cleared space. Um, there were a couple highlight runs where, you know, Siraj Kartaj really made something happen when they got met. But if you give those backs a step to get some steam, they can make some some pretty cool things happen after um, contact. You know, they need they need a head of steam, a little bit of motion. But those guys are ballers, and the offensive line did a good job freeing them up. So I was impressed with this. This was their best performance to date. I thought they were noticeably better in this game than almost any game, except for maybe Texas, um, just because Texas is a little bit better defensive line-wise. The only sack that I saw that um, was really... Uh, uh, it's not really a bust, but we're, the, the jailbreak blitz completely overwhelmed them. Granted, that was going to get home anyways, but I, they, they didn't communicate that up well, so guys came through from all sides. But even there, Morton's got to know, and Kitley has to call a better play um, to get away from that situation. So I was impressed. You know, you, you didn't give up many hurries. Uh, Morton had time. In fact, I think he bailed on some clean pockets and stepped into harm's way a few times, which again goes back to young guy trying to learn how to work a pocket. But it, it was a great showing. And let me, I, I said this, on Twitter, but if you do that, you can guarantee me that protection for the next five weeks. Texas Tech has a better chance than most of winning out during that. The thing that has killed you all year is the inability of the offensive line to block. And if you suddenly have that, there is not anybody left in your schedule I think will beat you. Granted, you're going to play better defensive lines in West Virginia. You're going to play overall better teams in West Virginia. But that that is a huge win Tech has been looking for. So it was good to see it now coming out of a bye week. Let's switch now to the defense. I want to start with something that I, I we harped on last week, the turnovers. Texas Tech would intercept JT Daniels, who I think is a, a good quarterback, three times. They would force a fourth turnover on a fumble. This was the first game in, I think, of the year that they had more than two turnovers. Um, it was easily the best turnover performance in which Tech also did not give up the ball, which, you know, huge win, so you're plus four in the turnover margin. Uh, let's, let's go to Jack first. Jack, secondary finally finished on those INTs. How are you feeling seeing finally on the scoreboard some turnovers? Man, it felt good to watch, right? Like, that was, it's just like a huge, like, collective sigh of relief. Just a huge weight off the shoulders. Um, I will reiterate what you said. JT Daniels is not a bad quarterback. Uh, You don't get recruited to USC and then transfer to Georgia, win a national championship, 
and then transfer out and because you're a bad quarterback. Those those programs would not have you if you're a bad quarterback. So um, these turnovers were not against some scrub. I think, personally, I think that JT Daniels is probably the best quarterback we've played against, if not all season, probably at least since uh, Leary at uh, NC State. Uh, I, I, I just don't think that any of the other quarterbacks we've played, again, playing Texas, we got Hudson Card. But, um, you know, they... UT fans wanted Hudson Card last week more than ever. So, um, you know, you live and die with what you got. But uh, JT Daniels isn't a bad quarterback. And uh, to finally convert, to finally finish these plays, you know, we, you and I especially, Mike, have harped on the defense just not being able to finish the play. Uh, you know, you're there, it hits you in the hands, and you just couldn't finish. Um, the only person that really had so far had been Reggie Pearson. And uh, so to see uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson uh, get one, you know, to, I mean, who else? I mean, I can't even remember who else got one. Uh, Dunlap, I think, got one. I think he was the one that just took it away from the guy in the, on the first possession of the second half. You know, the, these are all great, uh, great picks. And, again, let's not overlook that play that Taylor Demerson made on – West Virginia's last drive of the first half. Uh, to me, that set the tone for the rest of the game. Uh, if, if West Virginia goes down and scores right there and makes it a 17-10 to 10 ball game going into half and they get the ball coming out of halftime, um, you know, you're looking at a completely different ball game, possibly a tie at 17-17 after their first possession, and that changes the whole the whole pace of the game it changes the whole outcome, obviously. So um, I think it was a great, it was a great play. Can't be understated uh, the impact that that interception had. It was a great catch too. I mean, that looked like a receiver making a play down there in the end zone, getting his, uh, you know, getting a foot down or getting his hip down, whatever they ruled on that. But it's really nice to see everyone come through. You know, get a fumble in there also. Uh, strip off that big old boy that they put in the backfield, that 6'2", 260 kid. They just hand them to him and just dare you to tackle him. Well, you know what? We tackled him. I think uh, the kid ended up with 33 yards rushing on 12 carries, uh, average of 2.8 yards. So um, I think the D-line and linebackers were presented with a challenge. I think they rose to that challenge for sure. But uh, back to the pit, back to the turnovers. You know, it was just a great showing. Um, again, you look at the final result of the game: thirty-eight point difference. I, I, re- I think it's easy to say that if 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 you give me Texas Tech uh, plus four turnovers in any game, I don't see uh, <laughs> I don't see us losing a game or winning a game by less than twenty-eight points. If we're gonna if we're gonna you know be plus four on the turnover differential, so. Uh, you know, I'd take plus two. Maybe I'd take even plus one on the turnover differential. So if you give me four, I'm <laughs> I'm always going to be happy with that. I mean, you're just not. I you'd be hard pressed to lose games getting plus four, and it was awesome to. I mean, look, we all know it's an outlier. You know, nobody should be like, oh, we're going to get three picks a game. 
what I think was, and you kind of touched on this, was so satisfying about this is you finished the interceptions. You, 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 you. So many interceptions this year have been dropped or almost or, or they've been good plays. Some of these have been really good pass breakups, but they haven't been able to get, you know, actually do anything about it. Um, so it was really, really great to see um, Tech come out and make not just really heads up plays on the ball, but also um, finish them. That 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 pick in the corner of the end zone, like you said, to me, that changed the entire game. West Virginia was creeping back into the game. Tech had kind of gotten a little stagnant offensively. West Virginia was driving. They could have gone uh, a one and one right there. And that interception just it ended any chance of them recovering. It killed JT Daniels' confidence. I mean, I don't think he ever recovered from that. Um, it was a great heads-up play. It was really good coverage and a badly thrown ball. That should have been up higher where only your receiver had a chance to go get it. But just really good coverage, great heads-up play in the ball, and it changed everything. And, I mean, four turnovers in a game. You are going to win most games. Um, you protected the ball for it pretty well. You did have a couple of fumbles. Um Thankfully, thankfully, you didn't lose it. You didn't lose any of them. Uh, I, I would like to see, especially Sirajic Thompson, really veteran back. He's had a bit of a fumble problem. Um, I don't think we've lost one from him yet, but it it, it will happen if it, if he keeps holding the ball so loosely to so protect the ball. But it's one of the things, harkening back to Baron Morton's performance, that you're really happy. What helps is he doesn't turn it over, so you, you can keep that plus-four margin. Um, I was impressed with the defense overall. You talked about the running game. You know, West Virginia came in pretty good on the ground. It was a really balanced offensive performance from West Virginia most weeks. That's when they're at their best is when they find balance. Um, JT Daniels, under 200 yards passing, three interceptions. Um, None of their backs really got much traction. Interestingly enough, Tony Mathis had a little bit of success, but then he, I believe he got hurt. And from that point on, they just went nowhere on the ground. Um, I mean, Donaldson... It's really, by the way, f- quick pause. Really great to see him back. That was a nasty injury he suffered. So the fact that he's already back to, to, to you know, toting the rock is great to see, but he just never got it going. Um, I mean, holding anybody under 80 yards of rushing is phenomenal. Holding a team like West Virginia that kind of has a little bit of a calling card for being good at running the ball was great. I mean, they gashed Baylor pretty bad running the football. So this was an all around well rounded defensive performance. Um, I'm going to check in with somewhere an interest, uh, kind of an interest to me. You only had one sack in this game. Um, and you only had three quarterback hurries. West Virginia's and Baylor, I would say, to some degree, are probably two of the better offensive lines. You weren't very disruptive, but I also thought it was interesting. Tech did not bring a lot of pressure in this game. They played a lot of base defense. Um, I think some of that was because they were concerned about the running game. You're not going to bring a lot of pass-first blitzes against a team that you think is going to run the ball right behind you, to run those little counters right past you. Um, and the other side of this is West Virginia tried to run that stupid tunnel missile screen that teams run against Tech all the time, and I think Tech got caught by it once and then shut it down every other snap. So, I, I you know, I this is a great example of something we're going to get to here in a, at towards the end of this podcast, um, a topic to be, to be talked about later. This was just great film work by the staff. The defense was extremely well prepared. They finally didn't give up a start of the, of the, of the game touchdown. And, you know, it, 
I could not have been more satisfied. This was your first total team win, and that there's a lot to build on to next week. Um, and because here's the thing, I, I said it, I've used this phrase a few times. There was meat left on the bone in this game. You could do, you could have won this by even more. And that's that's the great thing is there were there were there's things to work on, while also so much to build on. Um, Reed, I'm going to turn to Baylor now. You're going to be up first on this topic. Let's look at the Baylor Bears. Baylor coming off a win over West Virginia, or excuse me, over Kansas, 35-23 in that game. Um, Shapin would get, I believe he was hurt this game, um, or a little dinged up. I, 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 I thought I could have sworn I read that, but I don't think it's true. I don't know why I'm thinking that. He was 17 for 26, 164, one TD, two INTs. Um, the Baylor rushing attack, though, is where all of their work was really done. Richard Reese would rush for 186 yards on 31 carries for a impressive six per carry. He had two touchdowns, including a 37-yard long. Quaylen Jones was the second back of any note. Nine carries, 71 yards for an even more impressive 7.9 a carry, including a 25-yard scamper. Um, Baylor did it on the ground against Kansas. They, this game, they jumped out early, and then they basically clung to dear life. Reed, maybe it's just me, but I'm disappointed by Baylor this year. Um, I want to get your sense on the Bears. Are they the Big 12's biggest disappointment to the season? Um, I, I, I think I would say I am disappointed with how they've turned out so far. Um, but I mean, at the same time, they lost a, a whole lot of production from last year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so I, I think to an extent, you can only expect so much out of them with that much turnover. Uh, I'm pretty sure they lost at least you know seven to eight starters defensively. And a lot of those guys were at an all-conference level and or uh, ended up going pro- to play professionally once they left Baylor. So uh, I think any any you know, real outlook on them would have expected some somewhat of a drop off, at least defensively. Um, I, I do like Blake Shapin a lot. He's kind of seemed like he's kind of been all over the place this year. Um, he played a really good game against us last year. I thought uh, in terms of uh, playing really sound and safe and not really putting his team in a bad situation to uh, make mistakes or anything. So, um, you know, I think they're almost kind of on a learning curve at this point, uh, just because kind of where the you know, stature of their, their defense is. Um, they've definitely dropped off from where they were a year ago in, in that aspect. And I think their offense is kind of built around the run game, kind of what you mentioned. Uh, they don't necessarily lack playmakers, but I think they've had more playmakers in the past uh, that could have beat you. Um, so I think if you're if you're tech, if you're able to help um, and kind of press that run game like you did against West Virginia, it's going to help uh, in the long run trying to get a, get a win on Saturday. Uh, I, I would expect some more pressure from Tech defense. Like you mentioned, we really didn't send many guys against West Virginia. Uh, obviously, we didn't really have to in order to you know play well defensively. Um, so I, I feel confident whatever whatever kind of tactic um, Ruder goes with, I, th- I think it's going to be a good game plan, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's an interesting – and why I ask about disappointment is because maybe it's just me, but I had Baylor – pretty high up in the Big 12 hierarchy. They had what was arguably one of the best offensive lines, what was arguably one of the best defensive lines. And in the Big 12, it just felt like that was going to be a big deciding factor. You know, they 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 chased away their starter uh, to, to, to go with, you know, with the current offensive setup with Blake Shapin. And it just... It, 
it's not like they've been bad. They played a tough schedule, but like BYU's turned out to not be very good. West Virginia, we know, is not very good. Um, their other loss was a tight one to um, um, Oklahoma State, and the, you know they're not getting blown out by anybody, right? Like all these games, BYU is extremely close. Multiple overtime game on the road. Oklahoma State, eleven point game. West Virginia was a very fluky game, by the way. I think they had like three or four fumbles, like a. a kick blocked for a two-point conversion. There was all kinds of nonsense in that game. And then they against Kansas, it's a, it's a great example of kind of what Baylor's been going through. Um, you know, they jumped out to this big lead, and then they just, they literally, I mean, for those of you wondering what I mean by this, Baylor was up 28-3 to at halftime. Kansas would outscore Baylor 20-7 to in the, the second half. So, you know, Baylor really just, I don't know if they parked the bus. I don't know what was the deal was, but they just they fell apart in that second half. I, our Daily Bears, by the way, they're the, our Sports Blog Nation affiliate for them. They're one of my favorites out of the Sports Blog Network. Um, they do a great job. They talked about it like the the meltdown going on in Waco during that game. I mean, they just I thought they were going to be so good. I really did. The schedule seemed like they were going to get a good statement win over BYU. Um, they barely beat Iowa State. Lost to West Virginia clung to dear life versus Kansas. I mean, they, they can't be happy with where they are after last year. They lost a lot of production, though, so maybe I was just over-exaggerating what I thought I saw from them. The flip side of this is I think they're better than their record indicates. It's a tough schedule, a lot of road games. I mean, Tech can talk about going to play tough teams on the road as much as anybody, but you know they're not going to be West Virginia bad, but I just don't know. I just don't know about this Baylor team. I, I've been disappointed with them. Um, Jack, to dive in a little bit deeper, I'm going to open this up first. Let's look at the Baylor defense. Um, it's a defense with, politely, I'll refer to them as mixed results. What are you seeing from Baylor? What are the matchups to watch? You know, what what alarms you about this defense? What doesn't alarm you about this defense? So, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on this, but I do want to say they're my second biggest uh, disappointment, obviously, but for me, it's behind Oklahoma. Um, don't pay attention to anything I say when it comes to preseason Big 12 predictions because, yes, I'm the guy that had Oklahoma and Baylor in the Big 12 Conference Championship game. Obviously, that will not happen. Um, this defense is really kind of... I mean, Reed pointed it out, right? They lost a lot from last year. Um, you also lost something that I want to touch on real quick, and I'm sure we'll touch on a lot more as this pod goes on. You kind of lost your defensive heart and soul, your defensive recruiter, and your kind of glue guy, I would say, in the coaching staff. And he happens to be the head coach for Texas Tech in Joey McGuire. I think that, or let me rephrase. I don't think that a lot of us really truly realized how big of a hand McGuire had in that Baylor program until we see it now. Joe McGuire mentioned at his press conference on Monday that he recruited 95% of the roster that is at Baylor right now. That is not just interesting to me, but especially because, you know, he was what the linebackers coach other than associate head coach he was the linebackers coach 
So you got your linebackers coach out there, and he's the guy that's recruiting quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends. He's doing the whole thing, right? Um, it's not a bad idea considering his, uh, you know, his influence in the Texas High School Coaches Association. Uh, but like I said, you know, he, he recruited 95% of that roster. I think that plays well for Texas Tech. He knows what, he knows these kids. He knows that entire Baylor roster, like the back of his hand. And he, if you know your team, you know their strengths and you know their weaknesses. Um, so if there's anyone that knows this team, this Baylor team's weaknesses better than Dave Aranda and the coaching staff that's there right now, it's Joey McGuire and the guys on staff at Texas Tech that were at Baylor last year. Um, again, I don't think that that bodes very well for Baylor. Um, I'll get into the stats on defense. Uh, this team has only sacked the quarterback 11 times this year. That's very non-Baylor-esque. It's not very... It's not a very aggressive team, or either that, or they're just not really getting home on some of the sacks. Um, they have they forced seven fumbles, only recovered four of them, and they've only picked the ball off four times this year. Um, you know, I'm not going to compare the Tech defense and the Baylor defense because you know Tech really hadn't been positive in the enforcing uh, turnovers until this past game against West Virginia, right? But I think that this is a is this is definitely a um, it's a front heavy scheme, and by front heavy I mean they have a lot of talent on the D line. They got some depth. Um, they got some big old dudes up there. Um, Ika up there on the D line. You know he's a big ass dude. Um, Franklin up there too. I, I know T J Franklin. He's a, he's a he's a big dude up there. Um, but the guy who, the guys that I'm really looking at and paying attention, um, in this one for Baylor are the two safeties, uh, Neil and Walcott, uh, Walcott leads the team in total tackles. Neil leads the team in solo tackles, uh, both at the, from the safety position. Um, both of them have a sack on the year, um, Neil has a pick and a pass deflection. Walcott doesn't have a pick yet, but he has three pass deflections. Um, each of them have a forced fumble. Um, what that, what those stats tell me is that this team relies a lot on their two safeties uh, to be playmakers. Uh, kind of similar to Tex in a way, but... Um, what that tells me is that if these guys aren't making plays, if those safeties aren't in on the play or uh, you know close to making a tackle or close, close to making a pass deflection or if they're not getting in the backfield on a safety blitz to get close to a sack, uh, I think this def- you can see this defense struggle. Um, if we can look at the stats, I mean, this is a team over the last over the first three games, they didn't allow over 20 points. Um, you know, granted it was two of those three were Albany and Texas state, but to a BYU team who at the time we didn't know, but at the time we thought was good, uh, you know, that game went to two overtimes and they only got 20 points on. Right. Um, but since then, uh, since big 12 play has started, they have yet to allow less than 20 points. Um, they've given up 24, um, 36, 43 and 23. Um, 
over 35 in two of those games, in two of their uh, four conference games. So I think there's definitely some, I guess, some some things left to be desired is, is how I want to describe it with this with this defense. And like I said, I think that if you can take those safeties, the matchups I'm looking for are the safeties. To me, if you can take those safeties out of it, because those are their skill playmakers, if those guys are quiet in this game, I, I really think that you could see Tech putting up you know, 35 to 38 to 42 points. This, you bring up something and I'm glad you did because now we can segue into something uh, that I wanted to talk about, which is not related directly to Baylor, but it does speak to an, an angle in this game that's important, which is the fact that, yes, this staff is intimately familiar with how Baylor is going to approach the game, whereas Baylor staff has almost no insight into what Tech is doing, right? Because Kitley rebuilt the offense in his image. He wasn't he, he wasn't part of the Baylor staff. Tim DeRuiter's coming from elsewhere, not part of the Baylor staff, runs a scheme that they haven't seen before from Tech. So you have a massive, massive advantage in terms of knowledge of, uh, of what somebody's trying to do. And, you know, a, a test of a young staff is what do you do out of a bye week? Are you going to look like a team that had an extra week to prepare? Against West Virginia, you scouted the shit out of them. I mean, those screens, they were all over. That was a screen that had burned Tech about a thousand times this season, and Tech had only managed to stop it like once or twice. And against West Virginia, you got popped once for it, and then every successive screen, you were all over. They couldn't run the ball because you blew up everything. They could Nobody was open. Uh, offensively, you attacked right where the heart of their defense was. So it is a massive advantage for Tech to have this familiarity because I think this staff is demonstrating with, you know, ex- as they're going, they're getting more experience together and building, you know, their scripts and building their schemes and game planning for these teams. So it, it's really exciting to see you know, that kind of come together after the bye week. It, it, it's going to be another big test against Baylor. You know, obviously you would hope that the familiarity, you see it again, that Tech looks really, really prepared. You're not giving up anything easy. Um, and especially defensively, Baylor's got gashed by the kind of counters Tech was running against West Virginia. Now, against Kansas, Baylor looked like they were correcting it, right? Like Baylor was attacking it. Um, you know, that was a point of emphasis for them after that loss to really slow down those counters. A big part of how Tech runs the ball are those counters, though. So it's another um, kind of system versus system here. Zach Kittley's got a scheme and formation and motion his guys into the right place to allow those plays to work because a lot of your most successful run plays have come off of those in recent weeks. And alternatively, you're watching Baylor and can they consistently stop it? They did against Kansas, but granted, without um, Daniels and for Kansas, they just aren't a very threatening passing attack. Bean is okay, but he's there. It's not the same. So they were able to get a little bit more one dimensional. Whoever starts for Tech in this game is going to be facing um, a, a, a Baylor defense that's worried about so many things that Tech can do. I'm very curious to see does Baylor work on that? You know, uh, um, they gave a lot of yards on the ground in West Virginia. You're coming off a game where you you scored. A lot of touchdowns generated a lot of yards on the the strength of your backs. Um, I think that from my perspective, this game is going to be run, won and lost in the trenches, right? Baylor's not the most disruptive defensive line by any sense. You highlighted that um, really well. And the reality is, is that if 
you allow them to become disruptive. And those safeties have, because they're going to be around, they're floating around out there. And if your quarterback's under duress and he's throwing into tight windows, they will punish you for it. This, this, the Baylor will punish you for it. It's still a pretty well put together team. It's a well coached team under Dave Aranda. So you just you got to to make sure you block them up well. That's my key matchup. You block them up well. That's going to sprain your running game. It's going to give. We'll talk about this in minutes. Either Morton or Shuck time to go, and it's going to be an exciting. Um, an exciting showing from the Tech offense at home on Halloween in a night game. Alternatively, but they're running through your offensive line. If you can't put together two good blocking performances, you're going to be in some shit. Like You're just going to be in some trouble. Um, Reed, I want to switch now to the Baylor offense, and then we'll circle back to the quarterback question for Tech at, uh, after you answer this, because I want we're running a little bit low on time, and I want to make sure we thoroughly address that topic about who should start. But Reed, what's your sense from the Baylor offense? You know, what, what, what... What weapons should Tech be aware of? What what's what's the mo of this attack? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting question because I I kind of compare their offense to their defense in the sense that it seems like they've they've been different every week. Uh, it kind of seems like a little bit of a roller coaster in terms of production and uh, what they've been able to do in terms of running and passing. Because uh, I mean, obviously West Virginia they move the ball really well, put up a lot of points. Uh, the game was pretty much just straight up track meet, uh, like the old the old Big Twelve was five six years ago. Uh, and then you have uh, like the second half against Kansas, where they can you know barely move the ball and barely able to put some more points on the board to to seal a win against Kansas, who's kind of plummeted since Jalen Daniels has gotten hurt. So I, I think it's just going to depend on what kind of offense shows up from them. Uh, I think if we're kind of able to pressure shape in a little bit, that might uh, help out and. Obviously, we need to try and limit the run game because that's what they used last week to build the lead that they had. Uh, I think maybe, um, they're, like I said earlier, they're, I think their skill guys are not as good or at least not as developed as they had been in the past. Um, they're not having an, an Ebner or, or you know, some of those names in the backfield that we're used to that usually kind of kill us in the, in the ground game and uh, the screen game and that kind of thing. So, um they're going to be a sound team. I don't think they're going to do a whole lot that's going to make them beat themselves. We're going to have to beat them on our own. Uh, they don't. They don't seem like the kind the kind of team that turns the ball over quite a bit. Um, I really couldn't speak their numbers, but uh, they're usually very sound. And you know, with Aranda at the helm, he's usually somebody that's going to keep them from beating themselves. And uh, obviously, you want to see the same out of your team. But hopefully, we're able to put some pressure on them. Um, I, I like to see some more blitz packages and. Uh, some guys coming off the edge and stuff because I think we can attack their uh, their backfield, maybe even their run blocking for um, a good portion of the game and trying to get some some success out of it. Yeah, it's kind of been the MO for Tech this year to be more aggressive and really passive against West Virginia. And again, I think part of that was just you just thought you had a matchup there that you liked with West Virginia's receivers against your secondary and you were more worried about what they're doing on the ground. Um, so I get it. But against Baylor, I don't think the same thing applies. Blake Shapin was really, really good against West Virginia. Uh, again, in that game, it was really fluky. West Virginia would recover... Um, three fumbles. I think they had a blocked field goal or ec- extra point. It was a fluky win of all fluky wins because Blake Shape in that game was 14 for 22, 326, two TDs before he was knocked out of the game. That's why I keep thinking he was hurt. He did get hurt in that game. Um, Kyron Drones was 7 for 14, 95 yards. Your backup was not good. Shocker. Um, 
But when Shapin against Kansas on the flip side of this, he was not good in this game. And some of the reason why is just because he wasn't very comfortable. Uh, um, Kansas would get two sacks in this game. I think if you can get him on the ground, you can take him out of it. Uh, um, he also, coming off injury, was not 100%. So it's not the biggest game to read into from his performance. But you, you need to shake him up. You need to come after him, shake him up. Baylor's got a good rushing attack. But I, I just... I get the sense if you get to Blake Shapin, you're going to take them out of this game. I think it's a very similar formula to how you beat West Virginia, which was you just you took away something from them. Against West Virginia, you took away their ability to get anything going on the ground, and they put it all on JT Daniels, and he just couldn't carry the load. I think if you take Blake Shapin out of this game, you're good enough base against rushing teams. Knock on wood. You know, you had a couple shaky performance against Kansas State. Um and a little bit against Oklahoma State, but you're pretty good against base rush attack. So if you force everything onto their running backs, I think you can control this offense. You can keep them at arm's length. You can you can really limit the damage they cause. It's not a particularly explosive offense. Um, it's not a bad offense. I think it's somewhere I maybe seventh eighth offense in, in in the Big Twelve, maybe a little higher. I'm not feeling super generous towards Baylor because they really pissed me off because like Jack, I kinda had them in the Big Twelve title game and I hate being wrong. So that's that's kind of disappointing. They were my like alternate with K State, so you know I'm kind of annoyed with them. But the, it, it's it's the kind of offense tech should be licking its chops at. It's beat up that the, they don't do anything particularly excitingly well. Um, just and it could be a pick your poison situation again. We talked, we and Reed had this conversation about West Virginia. You know, you pick one, you take it away. I think that if you go after Blake Shaven early and often, you have the best chance of success. Baylor's got a good offensive line. You cannot depend on base defense getting home with a lot of pressure, so you got to be a lot more active. Um, but we'll see what Tim DeRuta rolls out. Now, we're going to spend the last few minutes of the show before we get predictions talking about the quarterback situation. Um, Jack, Baron Morton or Tyler Shuck, who you start and why? I'm starting Baron Morton, uh, plain and simple. I don't mess with success. Uh, the kid kept us in the game on the road at Oklahoma State, uh, played better than uh, Quinn Ewers did even in Stillwater. So, uh, you know, I can't go, I can't go against success. Uh, kid had, you know, stomach bug, flu, food poisoning, something. Still goes out and throws up, uh, you know, 41 points. Uh, obviously because the last seven were for Donovan Smith coming in in garbage time. But um, I, I, can't, uh, I can't go against success. And uh, Baron Morton has been uh, providing success for this team. Uh, the offense flows super well. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll just make a quick you know, case for what I've said in a couple articles, and I'll just make it here for those uh, listening uh, I think Baron Morton makes plays with his legs that Tyler Shuck can't uh, or is not able to. Um, and I think that he makes throws with his arm that Donovan Smith is not able to. Um, so I think that you can... Donovan Smith and Tyler Shuck are good quarterbacks on their own, yes. Um, but I think with Baron Morton, you're getting the best of both of those quarterbacks in one. And uh, I can't... I can't go any other direction than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go last because then I'll lead us into the predictions. But, Reed, are, are you thinking the same? You sticking with, with what's working? Or are we changing it up and giving Shuck a chance to win back his job? 
Yeah, I would really like to, you know, say that Tyler Shuck uh, could give it a go, mainly just because I just want to see him have some, you know, see him in game time and have some success against a, a Big 12 opponent just because we really haven't had that opportunity uh, since he since he transferred here over a year ago. Because, um, I mean, I know I think a lot of people know what he can do. It's just a matter of him staying healthy, and you know, unfortunately he hadn't been able to do that. So I uh, I, I think it's it's hard at this point to take Baron Morton out of the lineup. And what he's given you the last two weeks, it, it tells me and shows me that he gives you a better a better chance at winning and moving the ball uh, uh, than Donovan Smith has so far. Um, I don't know if that's you know scheme wise they've changed things up for Baron to succeed compared to how Donovan played and um, and that sort of sort of thing, but. Uh, what, what I've seen the last two weeks, both on the road and then how easily we handled West Virginia's defense last week, it, I think it would be hard by by any coaching standpoint to even trying to think uh, of taking them out and put somebody somebody in that's been out for almost two months into uh, a game setting with, with an offensive line who hasn't been very great this year. Uh, even though they looked a lot better last week, it's still a decent chance that they're going to get knocked around by a decent uh, Baylor defensive line. So. I think you need somebody in there that can get out of the pocket. It's not necessarily afraid to get hit. Uh, obviously, I don't want Barron to get hit a lot, but um, there's going to be times he's going to get hit. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the only correct answer right now is probably Barron Morton. We're going to go three for three on this. It's got to be Barron Morton, and the answer's complicated, and this is not an easy situation for the staff. And when I say gotta, it's just because the simplest rule in football is always stick to what's working. And I think with quarterbacks, it's even more simple than that. They have to lose the job once they've got it. Teams respond to quarterbacks that are playing well, and Baron Morton's playing well and the team's responding. I think Donovan Smith's a great kid. I think the team really, really wanted to win for him. I think they battled hard for him. But he never gave off the confidence that seemed to me to signal to the guys, like, we're going to do something special every drive. There were times you could see it. Late in the Texas game, Iowa State last year, uh, um, Houston earlier this year, where you had moments where you saw Donovan Smith, like, uh, he a different mode turned on you know the phrase he got that dog in him you could kind of see some of that but he'd go large stretches of the season he's gone large stretches of the season without that where it just looked like the game was too much for him he, he was he was flummoxed by what was going on he wasn't making his reads well and I don't think any of its ability or processing power any of that I think he get he had a bad problem of just getting a little gun shy and stop trusting himself and when he wasn't trusted himself the team fed on it Baron Morton may make bad plays but Baron Aaron Morton trusts himself to make the next play right. And that's as important as anything for a quarterback. He trusts himself to go make the next play. He almost got baited in that pick. I talked about it. That was a really smart defensive trap. That safety had him set up. If he didn't complete it, what, what did Tech do? Drove right down their throat and scored on that possession. Because Baron Morton never lets up. And look, Tyler Shuck, I think... Let me be clear. I think Tyler Shuck could be better than Barron right now. Barron is the future of your program. I think that's been demonstrated. You're not. I, I don't think there's a chance in hell he's not your starter next year unless Shuck um, you know, takes the job now and then comes back an extra year. But Barron Morton's the future of your program. Tyler Shuck is probably more polished. I think Shuck may even be the better pure passer right now, more accurate. He's got a lot of experience. But the reality of the situation is, is Barron's winning, playing winning football. He's been banged up, and he's still doing it. And he, the team's responding to him. And just, I feel like if you go to Shuck, it's just because you don't want him to transfer. 
And I, I don't like that. And it's not a shot at Shuck's character, by the way. If I was him and I'm not started, I'm transferring. He came here to go to the NFL. Nobody should be a dick to him for wanting that goal. But the reality is, is that it, it's sometimes easy in football. Stick to what's working. You can keep Barron on a short lease. I don't even mind splitting reps at this point. right? I think Barron needs every rep he can get, but I'm fine if you go 50-50 between the two and let Shuck get his, his, his legs back from under him. Because there's a chance we start to see Morton display some of that like redshirt freshman syndrome. And Baylor, if this game starts to get dicey, you got a veteran quarterback who can step in and be waiting in the wings. But, you know, I... I see the case for Shuck, and the case is simple that he didn't do anything to lose the job, and he won it outright in the summer and fall camp, and there's a reason why, but, you know, I don't want to... The thing I'm scared most about this game is we end up playing the what-if game, and I'm I'm terrified that's going to happen, so I'm truly praying we go with Morton. It's the right call. He balls out. The job is his going forward. Shuck will likely transfer, and that's okay because, you know, highly touted prospect like him, he came here from Oregon to get to the NFL. So he's going to go somewhere else, have a great career. We're all going to be rooting for him. But if the future really is now, I hope I hope we see it on Saturday against Baylor. Uh, but the staff's going to pick the guy, and those there's people who's like, well, about that future thing, like, should we just give the reps to Morton? You're not two and five. You're four and three. You are in position to finish the year between seven and nine wins. You are not throwing that away to develop your future quarterback. If Tyler Shutt gives you the best chance to win now, if the staff really thinks that, they'll go to him. But I think the staff knows consistency is everything, confidence is everything. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, you know, this is why Kitley makes all that money. And if he picks wrong, it's on him, ultimately. Like, if, if Morton comes out there and he's not good and we got to go to Shuck and we end up losing the game because we took too long, that's on Kitley. Just as much if he goes to Shuck and he's not good, it's on Kitley. Whoever's out there, though, I'm going to be rooting my ass off for him. I, I, they're both great kids. I think all three of these quarterbacks are fantastic people, and they're really battling hard for Tech. That's why the quarterback competition's been such a thing to watch all year. They all really want to win. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see whoever goes out there. I just I pray we don't, whoever ends up being selected, we're not playing the what-if game. Just remember, there's never anybody more popular on a roster than a backup quarterback. That's always true, no matter the situation. Um, So there's always going to be somebody who's pissed off about the choice that's made. Let's just hope that the staff, who should know better, makes the right one. Um, I think that's Morton. We all think that's Morton, but that's their... Why they make $600,000, why they make $3 million is to make that call. So we're going to trust them. They've given us no reason to doubt that they can't manage the situation. We're further along. By the way, all of us, me and Jack both, predicted like four win games, four win seasons. I don't remember what Reed picked. And we're already there with five very winnable games ahead. Speaking of which, it's time for predictions. We're going to go reverse order with Reed going first this time. Reed. Who you got in this game? What's the final score? Do the Red Raiders triumph on Halloween weekend? Yeah, I'm actually kind of feeling good about this game, mainly because I, I Baylor really hasn't put it together a consistent performance yet. I'm hoping that doesn't uh, that didn't happen this weekend, and they can uh, kind of continue on the, the roller coaster they've been on. Uh, I'm I'm still liking a closer game. I'm definitely not expecting a 48 to 10 output or anything by any stretch, uh, simply because I don't think Baylor's built to to lose in that in that uh, aspect whatsoever. Uh, no matter who they're playing, they're going to play a good game um, from from a toughness standpoint, and uh, they're going to give you everything they got. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of torn on on score because I could see us putting up points, and I could also 
see us, uh, you know, struggling to move the ball at the same time, um, just because it's going to be a jump from West Virginia uh, from a secondary standpoint, especially. I can't really speak to the, the front seven, but I know the secondary is going to be better than what West Virginia had uh, last week against us. So I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring. Um, I think I'm liking Tech by probably a touchdown right now, maybe uh, 31-24-esque. Uh, but I could I could see that going going further north, but also too on the other side of the ball, I, our defense played the best game of the year last last week, and part of that was turnovers. So if we're able to turn them over, you know, at least a couple of times, I think that's going to help you on the scoreboard. So I'm hoping that uh, we're able, you know, to kind of keep that comfortable margin the rest, uh, you know, that whole game. Uh, hopefully, we can get our ground game going too to help whoever is at quarterback, uh, especially if it's Chuck to try and ease him back into it. Surely that wouldn't. That's not going to be the case, but uh, you, you never really know what's going on inside the program. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm liking 31-24 Tech right now. Jack, same question to you. Who you got? Do the Red Waiters win what you know is surely going to be weird in some way at night in Lubbock on Halloween weekend? Uh, weird shit happens in Lubbock on Halloween weekend. Uh, weird shit happens in Lubbock in an all-blackout weekend in Lubbock, so pair the two up. Uh, you're guaranteed for some weird shit. Um, I'm, I am going to take Reed's advice here. I'm going to go north. I had a score picked out in mind, and Reed pretty much almost pegged it exactly what I was thinking. Uh, I am going to go north. Uh, I'm going 38-24 tech. I'm not sold on Blake Shapin. I haven't been since he's been the quarterback. I think he's I think he's overrated uh, just based off one performance in uh, the Big 12 championship game last year. Um, I also think that the Baylor offensive line is underrated for how good they are. I think they're the best offensive line in the Big 12. But I uh, I think that with the way the defense has played this past week against West Virginia, um, Baylor turned the ball over four times at West Virginia and still took them to overtime and only lost by three. Uh, but they gave up 43 points. Uh, so I, I think that Shapin's a little bit careless with the ball is what I'm saying. And uh, I think that he might throw a pick or two in this one. Uh, I think Tech wins by two touchdowns, 38-24. I think Morton starts, uh, but I think you're in control enough to where possibly in the fourth quarter you see a little bit of Tyler Shuck uh, trying to get reacclimated uh, to his bearings in conference play. Yeah, this just I, I don't know what's gonna happen in this game that's gonna be weird, but there'll be something dumb. I mean it, it's it's just bound to happen. Um I I I felt good about West Virginia and I thought that they were gonna be scrappier. I thought that was gonna be a tighter game, one of those games you kinda score late to put it away, but they battle you and then tech just boat raced them. I don't think you can expect to blow out Baylor. Um they really what I thought West Virginia could be is a lot more what Baylor is. Baylor's a better version of a scrappy football team. They're not going to win a ton of games, but they're not going to lose anything easy. Um, I think that they're for sure a bowl team. They could get to seven wins. They're look. This is a huge win on their schedule, right? Like they really need this win badly against Tech. Just as we want this win to set up the back half of our schedule, it's going to be close. But 
there's just so many advantages working for Tech. It's a night game. It's going to be a sellout. It's the blackout game. Coach McGuire and his staff has a lot of insight into what Baylor's doing. You've, you're finally kind of finding your own as an offense. The defense is coming off its best game. Baylor's not exciting on either side of the ball. I just... Um, I have a hard time thinking that Baylor's able to beat you. And I, I, I don't want to say it's not going to be close because, like I said, it's got to be a weird one. But it's it's the butt bowl, so I'm going to be a little bit of a dick to Baylor and just say you're going to take this one by uh, 17. I think you're going to win this game comfortably. Um, I think there's going to be some review that pisses everybody off. Somebody's going to streak on the field. Something dumb's going to happen. But you just you should win this game, which scares me because this team has not historically over the last several years as a program. You want to talk about turning a corner, stacking success is something Tech hasn't done. Being able to win games they should comfortably has not happened a lot. So last week was a game you should have won, and you won very comfortably. I want to do it again this weekend. I think Baylor is a good team, and I, but they're they're just not who we thought they were, or not who I thought they were, anyways. And I think Tech takes this one. Let me say, thirty-eight twenty-one feels safe. Um, we're going to be coming back after the game to recap what happened. Hopefully, we're recapping the Red Raider victory. Also, next week, excitingly enough, we are closing in on the start of basketball. So, we will have Kendall, who could not be with us today. Um, he's going to be around to talk some basketball, start getting the conversation going. We'll also, I'll also preview our next opponent, TCU. Um, so, stay tuned for that episode next week. Thank you guys for listening. I was joined by Jack and Reed. I swear to God, we're going to get all four of us on a podcast one of these days. We've just had the worst luck this year, but I'm very glad we've been able to get Reed in the last couple um, after he missed a few due to just life and horrible technology issues. So it's been good to get him on. And as always, Jack and I um, are all, almost always around. So you can bother us on Twitter, on either the hub account, our personal accounts, or if you want to reach me on a bigger stage, I'm basically the main tweeter for Vivas. You can shoot us there. Like, subscribe, f- follow, whatever you do for podcasts, wherever you listen to them. Um, this episode will be dropping. The, we're recording on the 25th. I'll probably drop it tomorrow. So you have a few days to listen before the game. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening again. If you have any feedback, you can reach out to us. And stay tuned for some fun articles. I mean, I want to do a little bit more different stuff for, for Baylor Week just because it's going to be a weird one, and hopefully we can we can accommodate you guys. Um, thanks for all the feedback we've gotten some of the pieces lately. Chris wrote a great preview heading into West Virginia. He nailed their defense. So be on the lookout for more stuff from him. Uh, Jack and Kendall have been doing great work. Reed's power rankings have been awesome and I'm surprised people have been more upset by them. He's, he's really taken some stances out there that I've liked and I was hoping to piss off OU fans more. So come on, get angry about it. It's more fun for us. Um, thanks for listening one last time. Wreck them. Enjoy the rest of your week and hopefully you guys will be back with us next week after a Red Raider victory.